Hello and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzpah. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Tim Wells and talking about listening to a pogrom on the radio by Michael Rosen. And we'll be bringing you a poetry writing tip from Rick Dove and a poetry recording from Dami Okiria. But first, what have you guys been up to this month? Actually, I've been doing some poetry stuff this month. Can, can, can I just start by saying, <laughs> unlike previous months, this month I have been doing some poetry stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the last episode, I plugged in the notice board a workshop with Rachel Long mm-hmm. through Spread the Word. Um, that I went to uh, online and it was really good. Um, it was interesting. We were doing writing about uh, beds was the theme, which <laughs> was great. <laughs> like, there's, we a lot, read lots of, there's a lot there. Yeah, we read lots of great po- It was actually about poetry and art and like using art to, as a kind of jumping off point for poems. Mm-hmm. But the kind of through line for all the art pieces that we looked at was um, beds which was an interesting one. Um, it was really cool. Um, and I think it was the second in a series that they're doing. And I really recommend it. It was a really good experience. And it's just nice to be workshopping again, mm. even in a weird online way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was good. I think the next one is sold out, but the one after that um, still isn't. So I'm going to try and get another ticket for that. Um, I finished Tim Clare's 100 Day Writing Challenge um, at last, which was good. Um, I'm slightly wondering what what I'm doing now with the rest of my life, but (laughs) that was fun. I haven't really been writing that much poetry, but I've been working on a little blog that I think I'm going to put up, which is like kind of tips about um, writing a first collection. Mm-hmm. which awesome. I've been working on for a little while Ooh, and finally cool. gone back to. So it's probably going to go up in the next couple of weeks. Well, let and... me know when you go up and obviously we'll push it out from, from Dead Darlings. Thank you very much. And the the real heat of the moment is the brand new World Cup of cartoon theme songs. <laughs> the Jake Wild by Jake Wildhall um, <laughs> of Bad Buddy Press, who if people, if listeners are not aware of Jake's past running of various world cups of things we've had the world cup of bread we've had the world cup of condiments and dips and now it's time for the ultimate which is the world cup of cartoon theme songs on twitter um which if if the 90s cartoon sonic underground does not win i am going to throw an absolute fit there's so many pokemon variations it's there are and i feel like and also some i feel like the deck is stacked in favor of yeah some groups have Pokemon versus Pokemon, though. So I think Pokemon uh, Diamond and Pearl might knock out Pokemon Pokemon Johto. I can't remember which is in which group. I'm anyway, the only person who only knows one Pokemon theme song, the kind of I want to be the very best. Like no thing. one ever was. Yeah. yeah. I'm not um, sure I even know. That... that was the original series, <laughs> but that's pretty... okay. Wait, you don't, you don't know the original, Hannah? Um, it came out when I was in year eight and I went, it's fine, but it's no Pogs. And I have been, 
and I have been Maybe like... that's another alternative title for this podcast. <laughs> it's great, but it's no pods. And at this point, and then and then it became so big so fast that I was like, I'm never getting back on this train. It is miles ahead of me. Fuck it. I guess I don't do Pokemon. So yeah, no, I am I am a weirdly young fogey. I'm only I'm only thirty four, but I, I yeah, no. Yeah, but you were eight at the time and you were already like yeah i'm too old and cool for, for secondary school Pokemon secondary arc. school but yeah oh no. sorry year eight not not eight yeah <laughs> that is slightly uh, different to be fair yeah yeah, yeah. but um that yeah no shrug don't know all right and it's a great theme <laughs> it's not as good as sonic underground i think i want animaniacs but like oh uh, animaniacs was great um, and the lyrics were so fucking tight anyway yeah um so poetry <laughs> yes <laughs> right okay uh hannah what have you been up to this month so um in terms of gigs i have attended in the you know air quotes i caught nymphs and thugs which mm. is run by yeah uh, uh and he had it was the one where he was interviewing rick dove um okay. but what I didn't realise about the format is that it's literally, it's a half hour, um, okay. which I feel like given that we are now consuming poetry like TV at this point behind mm. a screen, <laughs> I feel like there is a room for, there is room for like short, sharp, like mm. got it done. Like I, mm. I, I really enjoyed it, uh, but I also was just format wise was like, I, I know Rick, <laughs> I know Rick, we've interviewed Rick. Like I, I, I love his stuff and it's always great to hear from him and i did hear some bits i hadn't heard before but also yeah of course because i knew it would be good but in terms of format i yeah i really liked that i think there's probably room for more short sharp Mm. stuff like that and it was insight last week which because it's october and i'm booking it uh i got rosie garland in uh also known uh to some as rosie lugosi vampire queen um, who I first saw um, hosting something at the South Bank with kind of Susie Sue-esque eye makeup and um, waistcoats and an, an like incredible charisma and a slight air of menace, which, you know, I, I like in humans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've since read, uh, I've bought a couple of pamphlets off her at gigs and she had a novel that came out last year that I spotted at the um, Gaze the Word bookshop uh, mm-hmm. Called the Palace of Curiosities, which I read and absolutely loved as well. So yes, booked Rosie. She was exactly as awesome as I thought, and perfect for October. And also, she was so good. Like I've never seen her before, and she was uh, amazing. Yes, I really loved it. Um, and also, like we've got Robert Garnham is now a regular, who we are just sport rotten. Like Robert Garnham is based in, I think, Dorset. He's in Torquay. In in fact, he's not. He's in Torbay, I think. Uh, in Dorset, yeah. Um, um. So yeah, it's a bit weird that we've got this much further geographical spread than we used to but also in some ways that means that we're sport rotten um yeah and in terms of writing it was my uh i've just had my week off to try and get this idea of mine down on paper mm-hmm. and there was one day of that where i was actually feeling really sick and barely doing <laughs> and yeah. some of that time i was just doing life admin like taking things to a charity shop um and sorting out my shit. Uh, but actually, given that the topic is all about objects and stuff and how we relate to the objects around us, what what holds memory and value because of that, etc., I decided that, frankly, this was all part of the writing process. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
And yeah, I didn't produce half as much new writing as I hoped I would. But what I did manage to do... Does anyone ever produce half as much writing as they hope? That is true. That is true. But what I did manage to do was realise that actually a lot of things I'd written down previously... I could form into a very promising structure and then I could spot some gaps and started writing new things okay. to fill it. So yeah, it's the first time I've ever done a big writing thing without like, because I need to have a fringe show done, for example. Mm. Um, and I think next time, I think I will probably do a like, set myself some parameters, but um, yeah, I feel like I have something promising in the works and it's a bit easier to explain now than it used to be, which is excellent. <laughs> Um, yeah previously it was like I was serving people a half-cooked jambalaya going yeah I know the rice is really crunchy and I know this might but this bit might give you food poisoning but you can see what I was going for right <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it's now you know more closer to cooked like you can go mm, yeah no nearly a bit more salt <laughs> mm-hmm. digestible poetry yeah something like that that's what we aim for <laughs> Rebecca what have you been up to what have I been up to uh I've actually written some stuff yeah yeah new shit which i'm uh i this is the thing i quite like the the uh one and done sort of approach to like like going out and performing at at a live night engaging you know yeah is this any good does it fall flat do you know what i mean i i i kind of doing it on the internet feels a much more scary thing because it'll be around and people can keep watching it or, or keep reading it and yeah so i don't i don't know if that will actually see the live day anytime soon mm-hmm. um I mean, uh, yeah, I, I also think that at some point I need to learn how to gauge my own work much better. Does anybody have the secret to that? I'm curious because mm. I, I, my poetry lives or dies by what other people think and I'm not wild about that. But, I, you know, I, 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 there have been things where I've been like, this is shit, this is shit, this is shit. And someone's gone, no, it's great, you know, and it, it's done really well. You mm. know what I mean? Um, so yeah. On the flip side, I've had people tell me in, in the nicest possible way, um, mm, that was that was. I feel like that's of the moment, in a kind oh, yeah, of like this is on about, their ass, yeah. yeah, but but I still think it's good. Um, mm. I think passage of time for me is one of the only really yeah. Like, do I still think it stands up? Because you get this kind of high once you've written it, right? I'm a genius for like mm-hmm. maybe twenty four hours, and then you might look back in three days and be like, mm, don't know. Um, I mean, my advice is always if you're not sure, share it with somebody whose opinion you trust mm. and see what they have to say about it yeah yeah like, group feedback for sure or in yeah feedback from trusted other good writers yeah i'll let you guys know when i'm ready for that <laughs> emotional battering again okay um, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i've been writing some new shit i've been trying to put collection into sort of or like a kind of pamphlet together Ooh. there's still gaps Exciting. But yeah, I'm chewing. I'm chewing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's marinating. Probably to carry on Hannah's metaphor, it's marinating. Okay. It's marinating nicely. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So yeah, uh, what I went to Insight, did the Patrick Your Place Slam. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of sitting in bed. Have read good. anything good? Uh, so I read Queenie, which is uh, so novel, which is kind of about being young in South London and also about being young and black in South London, which obviously kind of I recognise friends' experience, but the experience of just sort of being young and hanging around with couples mm-hmm. as well and sort of relationships in in, in London, um, I recognise very, very well. Um, so that was a really interesting read. Yeah, really great novel. Really enjoyed that. Who wrote that? Uh, so that is by Candice Carty-Williams. And I think a bit different to a lot of stuff I normally read, so I really enjoyed that. So shall we do an interview? Yeah. Let's do an interview. Mm-hmm. 
This month's interview is with Tim Wells. Tim Wells is made of reggae, lager top, pie and mash and Leighton Orient FC. So Tim, thank you for joining us. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, could you kick us off with a poem? That I can. Fantastic. I thought um, this might be topical. This is called Fight Scenes from a Lockdown. <laughs> the first day in a lengthening queue at Morrison's, an old Irish fella behind me got called a fecking cunt by his wife because he couldn't find the long life milk. I knew then we were in it for the long haul. <laughs> the days stretched like liabilities. I wondered if we'd run out of black and white films. The toilet paper held, but there was always the what if. When summer came, we saw it through the window. The city quieted. Birds raised their game. Weekly, we clapped all those who cared. I heard who we'd lost daily at the bakery buying a bagel and donut. There's a hole in life. There was a government. There was no government. There you awesome. go. Nice one. Thank you. <laughs> Topical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Say the least, man. Well, I swore that I would not write about lockdown and it just went on and on and on. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I know this is something I've said a few times on the podcast, but I, I'm finding like I'm not seeing, because you're not out and about, you're not kind of getting that sort of stimulation that kicks off ideas in the same way as well. So you end up thinking about lockdown. So you end up wanting to write about it. Is that something you found as well? Definitely. I mean, my writing is very much sparked by sort of conversation and overhearings and stuff like that. Mm. So that's definitely taken a nosedive here. Yeah. Mm. yeah, unless there's teenagers fighting on the bus, I've just got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, no weakness is full of um, full of your little stories, man. About just people. It's all about people. <laughs> well, it's it's mostly my teenage girlfriends from when I was a teenager. Uh -huh. but yeah, definitely. Yeah, people is what it's about. Mm. So, how did you first get into poetry? Um, well, I was a teenage ranting poet, mm -hmm. and uh, I was already sort of reading well I was, I was reading quite a lot i was reading a bit of poetry i was writing a little bit of poetry and then um at gigs we we're going to i noticed that poets got in for free so i figured that could help so then i started doing that and then i just kind of took the poetry more seriously because i quite enjoyed what i was doing it was it was a, like the late 70s wasn't it Tim, when um, more sort of well i was Writing poetry like seventies, but writing poetry really sort of kicked off sort of eighty one, eighty two. Yeah, which, um, there was yeah we were quite pop, you know we were sort of a, a music press flavour of the month for a little while, and then um, something else came along as it always does. So what what defines ranting poetry? Was it a um, yeah. probably bad poetry that rhymes comet with vomit? <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I mean, of sort of long-lasting value, not very much. But what I did like it, it was very immediate. It was mm. very to an audience. And, you know, it was more sort of newspaper outrage than considered poetry. Mm. Yeah. Which uh, So it was very much sort of interaction between you and the audience, which I liked. I liked the cut and thrust a lot. Yeah. Which, mm. I, you know, it was... I find things now quite staid. Mm. I, I liked the sort of 
I liked the fights and I liked the drinking <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. You know, I want more of that. <laughs> so, t- tell us about the fights. What what would a poetry fight look like? Out of interest, it would be a poet fighting the audience to get to the mic, <laughs> ah. <laughs> or fighting to stay on the mic. But um, yeah, there, there were some good ones. Um, but yeah. <laughs> It would make it too easy for poets nowadays. We get out the way, we'd let them on the stage. That's clearly the problem. Yeah. I mean, my, my problem with poetry, I've long said it is, you know, too much bitching and not enough fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Can we please change the podcast to, to that? <laughs> Where were you? We were trying to come up with a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the ranting poetry scene, like, I know... There's some names that people probably will know, like Attila the Stockbroker and Linton Quasi Johnson. There's others. Yeah. Seething Wells. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ginger John still gigging. Uh-huh. There was Jules from out of Bradford, mm-hmm. which some people probably still know. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Smith, who we gig with a lot, is a Jamaican yeah. poet. Fantastic really, poet. Yeah, fantastic poet. Uh, big yeah. influence on me. Yeah. Um, yeah, well worth checking out. Uh, Janine, the big J, yeah. Still <laughs> Janine Booth, yeah, yeah. I mean, Janine sort of vanished to work on the railways, and uh, since she's come back as a poet, last couple of years has probably published about twenty books. Yeah, <laughs> but she's an unstoppable force, and rightly mm-hmm. so. She is. I mean, mostly hating Tories was the was the one I got a few years ago, but I think yeah. she's done she's done several since then. I think. Yeah, I mean, she's consistently hating Tories, I'll give her that. <laughs> she is. I think, I think she's done one since called something like Hating Tories, The Force Awakens, I think it's called. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, she's uh, she's tour de force. I mean, because it's interesting when you're saying about like working on the railways and stuff, you've been involved quite heavily with poetry on the picket line for quite a while. Yeah, think, yeah, from quite early days. I mean, again, I mean... Back in the early 80s, we were doing gigs for all sorts of stuff. And obviously, during the miners' strike, mm. we, were, we were all very active, as, as were the bands. We were all gigging together, supporting stuff. And it, again, with the picket line stuff, it, it wasn't so much like, oh, let's kind of do this as a brand. It was just like, you know, well, what can we do with our own sort of little bits of work we've got to... Mm help and support and if you've ever been on picket lines they're actually pretty dull affairs mm. <laughs> if, you've, if you've ever been to anything left wing there's always some mm. long-winded needless speech so i think just getting up and doing a poem doesn't even have to be political yeah can uh, break the monotony and be a bit of fun <laughs> and uh, i think really the politics of it is is where you do it and who the audience is it doesn't necessarily have to be a political poem which ah some of the young poets don't really get they're like well my work's not political and that's that's irrelevant just go up and tell mm. someone a love poem just tell something funny but you're doing it on the picket line that's the politics of it mm. so so how has that kind of changed over time from when you when you were doing it back in the minor strike through to now i think there's a lot more performative politics now i think i'm not sure whether young people think this is a good thing or a bad thing mm. I, I don't know if twitter's decided i don't know <laughs> But um, for me, it's just get up, do what you can, find a bit of togetherness, move on. All good. But I think now it's it's a lot more I'm doing this uh, on... I mean, like, recently there's been a lot of stuff around 
uh, pulling down the, the slave owner statues, which mm-hmm. obviously is a good thing. But at the same time, you've got people taking poetry prizes, named after a notorious anti-Semite, and no one in poetry is saying it works. T.S. Eliot, yeah. <laughs> Anagram of toilets. Oh, nice. Anagram of toilets. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, that's kind of poetry is politics for you. Mm. And in terms of your own work, obviously you've been doing this decades. How do you think your own work has evolved or stayed the same? What's the sort of through line between what you're writing in the 80s and what you're writing now? Um, it's, it's changed a lot, to be honest. I mean, I, I haven't done random poetry for years, which is definitely a good thing. But um, <laughs> so it's a lot more considered. It's a lot more edited. But I still have an element of before lockdown writing <laughs> <laughs> to be read. I do like to read to an audience, and you know, and I think um, when you read your work, it, it does change the editing because you, you pick up on um, clunks and pauses mm. in what you've written, and quite often uh, the the audience find little meanings and bits of humour that you sometimes overlooked. So it's good to to road test that. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not really specific to ranting. That goes all the way back to your, your Greeks and your Romans. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why why do you think it's good that you're not doing so much ranting poetry? I was really interested in that. Because um, I'm in my 50. <laughs> 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 I just haven't got the uh, the lung power for it these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. When I first um, saw you, Tim, it was um, must have been about four or five years ago. At the, at the British Library, you were doing a it was to do with uh, with stand up and spit. Okay, were... yeah, with uh, um, yeah, we did the thing about yeah. writing poetry, didn't we? Yeah, you were doing a lot of stuff about like the history of writing poetry. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting to hear, you know, something that because ranting I associate with being very, you know raw and now and very very in your face and to see it in the british library <laughs> was an interesting kind of juxtaposition you know i don't it know was, I mean, what was, your thoughts were it was actually and i was quite pleased we got to do that and uh, it was quite a, a weird bill actually was it was selena mm. professor Worley, gary bushel suzanne moore as i recall which yeah uh, was, was an interesting mix of people I thought. yeah and you did something a couple of weeks later at the Camden Centre with... We did, we did uh, quite a lot. Jason, the Camden Centre yeah. was great. I mean, we had pretty much all the ranters that were still alive and out of prison. <laughs> but uh, all of the gigs as well had some young poets on as well, because to me, there's no point in doing history unless we're kind of looking at what we're up to now. So I was quite excited to get some uh, young poets on the bill as well. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah, that was good. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was joining the dots between then and now and uh i think the sort of nostalgia around the 80s doesn't really show the 80s is what it was like <laughs> yeah mm. but then again when we're in no pretty position in fact it's got worse since we did those gigs a few years ago mm. the situation's got oh, mm. well, it was bad then it's it's awful now yeah yeah but it's looking you know what can we do i mean when i was younger than you lot actually but back in back then we didn't have much but we could afford a game of football we could afford to have a pint Hmm. we did have a bit of community all that stuff's gone now yeah and on that note um you talk a lot about gentrification in your work um obviously london is a city that is changing a lot and 
I don't know, personally, I feel like wherever I move to, I am the gentrification, but also I can't afford the place I grew up. Um, how, given given the impact that gentrification has on a art scene, especially with live music venues, pubs that are willing to put on poetry, how does a gig art form like poetry stay safe from developers? How do you sort of protect the spaces, the workers i know you did you do um poetry on the picket line at hackney picture house does that have i we got did. that yeah we did several gigs there yeah did several turns there yeah like, i mean i don't at the end of the day really I, I don't think anything's safe from gentrification you know it's it's like posh kids at university nobody's safe <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But yeah, to to me, I mean, one of the one of the things I, I find a bit disturbing at sort of poetry now is, is people are just sort of rushing to be accepted, and what they're all fighting for is acceptance hmm. rather than change. Hmm. I, I'm all for like building our own spaces, building our own fanzines. In my day, it would have been fanzines. So if we didn't hmm. like something, we we did our own thing. We we made our own fanzine. Hmm. We put our own yeah. gigs on. We didn't wait for someone to notice us and the fact was those people have never not noticed they've always known who we are they've always known where we are hmm. they just didn't want to know <laughs> you know it wasn't we were knocking on the door and they couldn't hear us the, yeah. the door was shut and it was staying shut so I, i've got no it confounds me why people are just like you know oh let's just sit at the same table as them it's like well if you do that nothing's going to change hmm. we need to build our own table hmm. And then hit them on the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that's that's something that kind of there's been a sort of swelling of interest in spoken word in the last few years. You know, we've got more and more spoken word nights. We're seeing it in advertising, like the Nat West ads. Yeah, um, and it does feel like it's becoming increasingly mainstream. And yeah, I just wondered what your kind of take on that was. Um, good and bad. I mean, um, it's definitely a lot more diverse than when we were gigging, which is definitely a good thing. And sort of services. Sorry. And certainly something we, we were pushing for back in the day. So that's a really nice thing to see, you know, the, the breadth and width of voices is definitely a good thing. And, and that's a big improvement from what was mm. going on. So I'm really happy to see that. With the mainstream, I mean, on one hand, it's good that perhaps you've got a chance of a career and you can get lots of gigs unless there's a pandemic or something like that. <laughs> might just yeah. come out of the blue. Yeah. But, also, it kind of weakens what you're doing because people are writing for pay. Hmm. They're, hmm. they're not writing to pose questions. They're writing to answer questions for advertisers. Hmm. So, you know, I don't begrudge someone a living. But, hmm. you know, great. But I also want to see and hear some work that challenges things. And there's room for both. Hmm. But really, I've, I've, I've always thought with poetry, it's... There was a thing a while ago when, you know, it was like poetry is a special art form and, you know, we need our places poets. And I just thought that was rubbish. Because, you know, for me, if young people going out and it's like, well, we could go to karaoke, we could go to football, we could go to the pub, we could go to poetry, we could go to this, we could go to that. As long as it's an option, to me, that was mm. the whip. Mm. It's not, not about being a special place. To me, when you get to that point, that's bad. So what what is it that makes you to continue to write uh, so much, you know, over over such a long period of time, Tim? Well, there's still people to annoy. 
Yeah. <laughs> Who's on uh, your to annoy list? It's it's a long and growing list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great reason. <laughs> It's like the tides, it comes and it goes, but it never fades. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've still got stuff I want to say. I've still got stuff that makes me angry. I've still got stuff that makes me laugh. Hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm writing more fiction these days. Yeah. But, um, again, it's still really coming from the same place. So yeah, you've got, uh, you crowdfunded your novel, Moonstomp. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about about it? Is it a novel or a novella? I understand it's short, short. I didn't go to university, so it's a novel. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's, it's a pulp novel, and it, it's unrepentantly pulp, which is the kind of stuff we, we used to read as lads, was, uh, and lasses come to that. But um, there was all the sort of Hell's Angels and Skinheads books we used to read when we was at school, and there's always the handbooker horror stories and the rats by James Herbert and stuff like that. So it was very much... Uh, in that vein, there's all stuff I liked, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very much a sort of pastiche of that. And um, so it's it's more about pace than story, really. So mm. I quite enjoyed writing it. I was actually on a panel with the publisher. Uh, we were on a panel about oh, it's about the media. That's right. And I, I was talking on behalf of of zines. Yeah. And uh, that was quite actually that was quite funny. We threw a, a Guardian journal under the well, I threw him under the bus. So. That's <laughs> And um, me and the, the publisher just had a few beers after the show, mm. and we got chatting away about 70s pulp. He was yeah. a big fan. And uh, in fact, he was just had um, Dave Hill from Slade's autobiography coming out. So oh, like, really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I said to him as a joke that I've got this book about a, a skinhead werewolf, and when the full moon comes out, his sideburns get really big. <laughs> <laughs> So he was quite excited and wanted to publish it. And I said, actually, I've made it up. It was a joke. And he said, well, could you write it? And I was like, yes, I can. That's it. That's a great origin story. <laughs> so that's what happened. And I've actually now on the second book, which uh, we start pushing very, very soon, in fact. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Amazing. So what's that uh, one about? Uh, it's, I was actually going to write something else, but there was enough interest in the first one, it's now the sort of part two of that. Oh, oh cool. Fab. So uh, that's going to, well, it will be called Shine On Me. And that's, uh, we'll be starting quite soon. But I've enjoyed the pulp because really the, the first one was pretty much my teenage years, but with a werewolf in it. So, uh, yeah, I had a bit of it. Actually, I'm, actually, I was getting laid off and I started writing it. I was getting laid off work. Uh-huh. So uh, most of the people that get killed are actually the managers. And oh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite therapeutic. And no weakness. You were telling us it, it, it's kind of about the the girls that you knew in your teenage years. I'm assuming that I've I have read it. And I don't remember there being any re- werewolves in it. No, there's no werewolves. There's, there's lots of girls. Uh, I get beaten more than anything, actually. But, uh, yeah. There's quite a lot of punch ups in it. I think. Well, you know, just sort of seventies and eighties were like that. But yeah. definitely, yeah. But again, that was again that kind of really came from me working on the werewolf book, and I was kind of in my head going back to my sort of teenage years, and I was listening as I was writing. I, I write a lot with music, and I, I was yeah. writing with. I, I, I worked out that I could play three albums per chapter, so I was playing, okay. playing a sort of punk album, a couple of reggae albums per chapter, 
and then all these kind of little snapshot incidents were coming up in my head as I was writing, uh-huh. and I was sort of putting them aside, and I got a lot of poems out of it, so it all kind of came from the same <laughs> world. Oh. Almost every day, I'm, I go on on uh, in, on Facebook and I see you posting Althea and Donna lyrics or uh, Rutt's lyrics or Dead Kennedy's lyrics. I mean, well, what, you know, what are you listening to at the minute? <laughs> um, today, actually, I was listening to uh, Joe Gibbs, a couple uh-huh. of uh, the African dub albums, uh-huh. and a Joe Jackson album I played today, funny enough. Okay. Interesting, interesting. I'm just always looking at your thing going, man, Tim is listening to some great music today. And apparently writing two books at once while he's doing it. Like, yeah. that blows my mind. That absolutely blows my mind. I don't think I'll do that again. But. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, actually, like, the not performance poetry scene, you, you told me you're not using the, the performance poetry to find something specific that is not. not yeah, I mean. Okay. Yeah, I mean, performance poetry for me, uh, and Noel O'Sullivan's written something far more intelligent than me about this, but um, as he often does. But for me, performance poetry was a style that kind of um, came after the ranters in a way. It was kind of sort of late 80s, early 90s. You know, the sort of earnest hand-wringing mm. poetry that sounds like, sounds like you're at a posh dinner party mm-hmm. and uh, you're just winning over people who previously poo-pooed you to your point of view. Because that's been my default term, but I might change it on the basis of this conversation. Um, well, that's just my opinion. There are others, let's be fair. Yeah, because I find spoken word as like people trying to avoid the word poetry, which pisses me off. Because like you're not gonna re, you're not gonna change people's minds if you're still embarrassed to say it. Um, well, but... that's always been like my thing with punk poetry, which I particularly hate because it just means you know I've got a working class accent. You know, I just think, you know, poetry is fine. I write poems. That's okay. Mm. There's no need to separate me from you. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, kind of, I was curious to talk to you about kind of poetry and class and, and whether or not you feel there's kind of a class divide in the way that poetry is, is kind of framed and perceived by the public or, and, you know, how that plays out in kind of performance spaces or kind of poetry nights and things like Actually, that. Actually, I, th- I think it's more the case that posh people would like there to be. because you can guarantee when i'm doing a sort of more sort of established poetry type thing which i I do and you know some of them a lot of fun and all that and they generally pay better but you can guarantee i always get oh tim you know so you're from east london and you do a lot of gigs in east end pubs how does it go down i'm like well they always go down really well why wouldn't they and you know the the fact is you know people read people enjoy language and and you know sort of if you listen to reggae record, just you know, mm. it, there's a guy on a mic all the way through it, playing with language. Yeah. If you know, Cockney slang is all based on mm. wordplay. You know, mm. all the stuff goes on, and you, you know, don't have a monopoly on this. Fuck's sake. Exactly. So I think when it comes to you know, like poetry prizes and awards, I think that comes more into play then. But I'm not really bothered in all that. I'd much rather, to be honest, go in my local pub and read some poems. Yeah. Or go up north and read to you know, like I did some really fun gigs up north with like me and Linton. Yeah, and, uh, we went up there and people, oh, it's it's going to be really weird up there, and you know, it's quite the opposite. We had a really good time. <laughs> people were really nice. <laughs> How's it been working with people like Linton and with um, like you mentioned Michael Smith already? Yo, I I'm in your depth for getting for I saw a picture of you at that event with me can't believe it, and I went and bought the LP. Straight straight after that day, uh, <laughs> what's it like? Kind of working 
we're with more of the dub side of poetry because that's that's slightly different to what well, other people work with. You've got to remember, it's only it's, it's kind of weird that it's only now become divided again. Yeah, and, and not by poets either. Come to that, hmm. um, you know, we were all geeking together, like um, Dan Zephaniah, yeah, and Lynn, and we was we was all doing the same gigs back in the day, and um, people like Levi Tafari are still gigging as well. Actually, I've just done coming out. I, I think it's coming out before Christmas. There's a um, academic history of British reggae, and I've done a chapter for that about dub poetry. Funny enough, but the, the way I've approached it is I'm, I'm looking at how, which is true enough, how um, poetry in hmm. sort of Michael Smith and Linton's accents kind of opened the door a little bit to validating our accents. Hmm. People like Clarkie as well having, obviously, you know, Manchester accent. And, and hmm. us, and, and it did. It, it did make us as, as young people yeah. just kind of go, well, actually, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to do all the posh stuff. We can do it this way. Hmm. And I'm kind of looking at it through that. Hmm. But and Levi Defari, who's from uh, Liverpool, gigs loads hmm. with uh, Ginger John, who's a ranting poet from Wivenshaw. And Levi actually makes the point that um, they come from sort of different cultures sure. in a way, but they were saying the same <laughs> thing. And hmm. that's really what it's about. And you know, <laughs> that's what I, I like about the poetry. Is our, our enemies were the same. We might wore different clothes, we might look differently, we might have a different accent, but we had the same boot on our neck. Mm. That's what brought us together. Yeah. And it's interesting your point about the accents that I've definitely heard, and I can't remember if it was on this podcast or if I heard it somewhere else, but somebody saying that a lot of their own early poems, because they listened mm. to a lot of John Cooper Clark, a lot they all had that kind of accent that they did not actually have <laughs> because they kind of thought that's how you write a poem, that you have to have the Mancunian accent. Yeah, but it, yeah. it was the same with Kate Tempest a few years ago. No fault, mm. Kate. But there were so many people just doing the Kate Tempest and, and the hip hop breath. You know, when a poet does that, yes, yeah. just be original. <laughs> you know, be yourself, be original. I've seen it bubble through over the decades, yeah. sorry to say, but <laughs> you kind of get your, your big poet and you, people just Potatoes. bubble it through and you're just like, <laughs> please, you know, do something else. Yeah. And none of that is the poet's fault. Yeah. Mm. So with, with that in mind, you've, you've seen quite a few movements come and go. So what are some of the... This is poetry. Movement is far too big a word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's more like confectionery. Marathon becomes Snickers and then becomes Marathon again. (laughs) And I've seen Freddo's with caramel, which, let's face it, is wrong. Ooh, yeah. What do you see as some of the positives and the negatives of some of the changes that you see? You talked about people becoming more perhaps more posturing and less actually doing about their politics. Are there... um, to be fair, that's, that's always been the case, though. I mean, even Trotsky was writing about that back in the 1920s. Hmm. But uh, as, as, funny enough, was um, no, the younger Pliny, that's the one. In the <laughs> younger Pliny, he writes about poetry readings. Christ. Same pretty much. And also in Juvenal's uh, first satire, he complains about poetry readings as well. So it's nothing new. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, as I said, I think the diversity of voices that's that's definitely a wel- very welcome change for the better. That's that's, that's lovely to see actually. And uh, poets like Emily Harrison, I think, seeing those those kind of poets come through, that's superb. That's really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love her stuff. Yeah, but yeah, you've been a you've been a champion of a number of younger poets going through for. Well, I, 
I don't think I'm a champion really because it's, it's their talent, it's, it's their words. You yeah. know, if I can give them a, a positive nudge and buy them a drink, I'm happy to. But it's all their hard work. So, whose work are you into at the minute? Um, oh, Emily, definitely. Selena, it's been great to see Selena yeah. really sort of explode the last couple of years because she's been someone I've been mm. gigging with since early '90s, mm. Selena, and she's really mm. done things her own way, which I think is is a really positive. There's, you see a lot of poets take the easy option they kind of have the day in the sun yeah what's the easy option yeah where, where's this easy easy poetry life well a lot of the arts bodies will uh, uh. set them up for a little season they'll be you know you've seen the wicker man you're king for a day yeah. you're <laughs> oh, I just, I love that. it's kind of like that but uh selena you know she's she's worked hard and on her own yeah. terms and she's got there on her own terms and you know i'll raise a pint to her for that anytime so that's that's been really good. I can't imagine anybody trying to put Selena in a wicker wicker man, and <laughs> they that would they, they would not get with, they wouldn't get within ten feet of her. <laughs> you always seem to be sort of documenting things around the history of spoken word, like old old flyers and and sort of paraphernalia around around it. And I'm wondering, kind of what. What motivates you to do that? It's brilliant to see it. Well, that whole stand-up and spit stuff started. Mm. Be, actually, I did a couple of interviews from a couple of weeks with young people, and they both asked me about the influence of hip-hop on my work. Okay. And I just said, well, there isn't any. I don't like hip-hop. Mm. And the first one just totally dismissed what I said and carried on asking me about hip-hop. <laughs> oh, good. Well, it, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second one was like shocked, and I was like, "Well, you realise I was doing spoken before. word gigs before, yeah." And she just like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And how does that actually work? And so I was kind of like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah. why are these people thinking that?" And I kind of realised that I'm from a sort of world before the interweb, mm. so there's a sort of window pane uh... of spoken word history where things weren't on YouTube things weren't mm. really online or documented so i started putting that together with the stand up and spit yeah. stuff so and you know and the sort of history spoken word has got its own myth now and uh it's not one i necessarily subscribe to <laughs> so it's kind of mm. like how can you upset people by telling the truth can you can you bust some myths yeah, yeah. well we kind of touched on it earlier like you know it was like well the whole sort of separation of of sort of like dub poet and ranking poetry i think that's that's a real shame mm. that's happening at the moment because that, that was a hard fought fight and we won it yeah and now sort of academics are now like well no 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 you were over here and you were over the head mm. and we're like well no that wasn't the case but we were having a pint together what the fuck well to be fair ben always drank orange juice but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were in the same bar you know doing the same gigs to the same audience on the same uh-huh. bill and, you know that was a win, mm. a definite win. Yeah. But now it's all been academic doubt. So that's fascinating. It's 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 really some of the um, imagery as, as well. That and the 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 layouts of things was beautiful in in some of the stuff that you've saved, like in in stand up and spit. Like there's I'm looking I'm just scrolling through it now and you have got this. Um, Got this article about seething wells up on there. I saw you yeah. put put up the other the other day from Maximum Rock and Roll. It's it's just oh, it's, yeah, the, yeah. it's it's the, the layouts like that you don't see anymore. <laughs> you know, well it's because it's all done on computer now. We didn't have computers. Yeah. It was what, I mean when I, was, I did uh, poetry fantasy rising mm. for about 
over 25 years. And when I started, that, that was still paper, scissors, and glue. Yeah. So all the all the fanzine stuff we were doing was letter set, which is a magical world mm. to young people, and uh, scissors and glue and going through the news of the world and cutting out a picture. Yeah. yeah. So styles definitely changed, and you know we we wanted things to look more in your face, less smooth. Hmm. You know, mm. if you ask your parents, if you ask your parents yeah. about school toilet paper, it used to be like tracing paper. Oh, I remember <laughs> you know, that. Like, so yeah. we were that, and not the smooth <laughs> stuff with puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to talk about? I mean, you, you keep asking some questions. I've got some few more poems here I can do, but just keep uh, asking me what you want me to talk about, and I will. Yeah, I mean, if you're up for doing more poems, we're always happy to hear them. Yeah, well, I can do. Great. Cool. Let's finish up with a poem then, maybe. Um, yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about um, the history of poetry. This is uh, a poem I wrote called How to Kill the Young Poets. <laughs> yes. Do a gig where you're not desperate to be liked. Rather than breathe like an asthmatic rapper, breathe like the asthmatic fat bloke you are. <laughs> Read from paper. Tell them you're reading from paper because you've an accent, and without seeing said paper, the BBC won't think it's literature. <laughs> Tell them why you don't read Ginsburg. Tell them identity politics are American liberal imperialism. In winter, wear a football scarf. Do not fold it as an air hostess would. <laughs> Edit with a sharp knife. Use the same knife to prick a drop of blood from their finger and get them to sign their name in it to a contract that sells their soul to apples and snakes in exchange for educational work. Oh, man. That's great. <laughs> and uh, this is a poem from uh, No Weakness. And this poem is called... All the skinhead girls I ever went out with were tougher than me, had to be. Most could shut a pub to silence. All could talk till the Monopoly boot came home. The blue of Levi jackets and jeans echoed enduring tattoos. Their eyes the same green as the liquor grace in their double-double. On Saturday night I heard Ali Baba and I wanted my dream last night, last night. A monkey boot scraping my shin. The stick of cinema carpet as the adverts finish and the action begins. Nice. Awesome. Real. There we go. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks for join, joining us yeah, on this. More than welcome. I really appreciate it. It's been fantastic. Is there anything you wanted to plug before we... Um, don't vote Tory. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> Um, cool. And yeah, right. we'll, we'll share links to your um, to Moonstomp and uh, No Weakness as well. Nice yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Um, when are you looking at getting all this sorted and available and all that? Uh, it should be about first of November. Is the plan? Okay. Yeah. And that that's in that case, my new book should have started. It's crowdfunded at that point, so if we can do it in a mix, that'll be quite helpful. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm sure I'll have bored you all with links to that by then. Oh, that's I will great. do for the next six months. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, no, we'll... How does crowdfunding um, work? With a... Yeah, sorry. It's the, the publisher on band, they crowdfund everything, so it's... So it's, it's not a big... It's, it's a few grand, but essentially means that the book pays for itself... And then it's already got an existing readership. 
Mm. Mm. Kind of works like that. So it's it's a bit weird, but it does kind of work. And for someone like me, I used to sell a lot of live readings. Yeah. So it, it actually doing it that way because I got quite a good deal on stuff that I sold. I, I would actually do better mm. with a lot of other publishers. How that's going to work, COVID is another story. But also, I mean, a lot of people buy my stuff. It's, it's a lot of it is kind of people my age, you know, sort of old gods and skinheads and what have you. So that's more the market rather than the sort of literary people. Although, yeah. you know, the sort of poetry side tend to buy it, which is nice. So, for a sort of niche book like mine is, it's, it kind of works out good. It does just feel like uh, a, quite a good way of like harnessing the the pre-sales or the, the money from the pre-sales as quick as possible, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've got to kind of look at it. It, it is you've got to step outside your, your comfort zone, really, and you have to push it. But I, I sort of, I've got some little videos lined up and. I do sort of little blogs about sort of research and about bits in the book. So all that kind of stuff is actually quite fun, actually. So I kind of keep things rolling with that. So uh, you you do have to keep pushing it, to be fair. But Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Zach. In our writing tips section, we ask one of our favourite poets for a piece of writing advice or a prompt which you can use in your own work. This month, Rick Dove shares a tip. Hi, I've been asked to provide a writing tip by the lovelies over at Dead Darlings. So I thought I'd share a tip with dealing with one of the most annoying challenges that you can face as a writer, which is the blank page. You know what it's like. You bring pen some time in your hectic schedule between box sets and tending to sort of lower levels of the Maslow hierarchy. And all you want to do now is write something, but nothing is coming to mind. As Sidney Sheldon said, A blank piece of paper is God's way of telling you how hard it is to be God. So what do you write about? Where do you start? What direction do you go in? Just a first word, just an idea, just anything, just anything has to go down on that piece of paper. So what I'm going to share is a trick that I use to get myself writing when I haven't done for a little while. This is a tip that I've adapted from something that uh, Glyn Maxwell covered in his book on poetry, which is a very good read, by the way. What you do is you take a pack of playing cards, hence the name that I've given it, the tarot prompt. Take a pack of playing cards, just a standard deck of 52. Um, You may want to lose any of the jokers for this because they're not necessary. Um, Next, what you do is you think of something that comes in a set of four. So let's say four seasons, four humours, the four classic elements, or you pick something, um, colours, emotions, and you think of four of them. And then what you do is you allocate each of those things to a suit in the deck of cards. So for this example, I will use the seasons. So spring, summer, autumn and winter. And I'm going to make diamond spring, heart summer, clubs autumn and spades winter. Then you allocate a place or a value or a rite of passage to each of the card values from ace through to king. You'll need 13 of these, so um, be creative. I normally use things like places because it's quite easy to come up with 13 of those, um, sort of classrooms, hallways, cemeteries, that sort of thing. Now, write the values down. So next to the word diamonds, write spring, 
heart, summer, so on and so forth. Um, for aces, um, write down what you have for an ace, write down what you have for a two, write down what you have for a three. Now what you have in the pack of cards is 52 scene prompts. For example, if you draw the three of hearts, that could now correspond to love in the summer. And the eight of spades becomes hate in the winter. And all you have to do now is draw the card and write the scene. So if you have lovers in the park by a lake, an argument at Christmas at the table. But what makes this a challenge um, and actually helps with drawing out a narrative is if you take three cards and try to weave the three scenes together. Have fun with the chronology, mix things up. Um, but what you will then find is you've got the start of a poem. The randomised element means it takes all the pressure off you. You have one matrix of values you can keep going back to if you like it. And you've won against the blank page. And as Dorothy Parker said, I hate writing and I love having written. Hope that works for you. Now it's time for our book of the month, which this month is Listening to a Pogrom on the Radio by Michael Rosen, chosen by Hannah. I'm quite excited about this discussion because mm. uh, about halfway through the week, I got a message from Laurie. We all got a message from Laurie on our group chat saying, man, I'm so polarised on this book, guys. And then I hadn't finished it yet. So I was like, oh, really? Why? And he's, yeah, to which Laurie kind of went, well, I could chat to you about it, but I don't want to influence you too much. And then kind of backed out of the discussion. So now I'm really, really <laughs> Uh, so yes Hannah what made you choose this um there are a few reasons so last month's book was one which had uh, Roger McGough and Brian Patton both of whom I knew some of their children's stuff and hadn't read their stuff for grown-ups so Michael Rosen is kind of in a similar category to me for me that I knew his kids stuff and hadn't really I was aware that he wrote stuff for grown-ups and I love his Twitter and occasionally like he'll get an article published that gets that I spot usually online. Um, and I basically always agree with what he has to say. So I was curious to see his poetry for adults. Also, um, I don't know if anyone knows, he had COVID and was really seriously, seriously sick. And I was mm. so fucking delighted to hear that he'd made it because it really sounded like it could go either way. He was in intensive care for a very long time. Yeah, in a coma. Yeah. So I think a mix of like, thank fuck, he's still alive. <laughs> and also yeah. that I re- I realised that I had this big gap that I sort of broadly feel very warm towards it, but hadn't actually read um, his adult stuff. So I went searching for michael rosen adult stuff and this one uh from the title because a, a pogrom is a um basically a a organized beating up of jews um so i was i i, I was interested to hear what he had to say because i know he's comes from a very left-wing persuasion so i thought if it's about anti-semitism or stuff um i've had a few shit arguments online with people <laughs> with fellow jews on twitter but who um want to support the state of israel and war crimes that they're committing so um i i reckoned yeah a mix of like jewish identity stuff thank fuck he's alive and um uh and wanting to see his adult stuff so that's that's how and why i came to this one um what i didn't realize is quite how of the moment a lot of it was Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's 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 got some stuff about his his childhood and his parents and some stuff about um 
So his parents were Jewish, secular Jews and communist at that. Um, and he's got some stuff about sort of immigrant identity and then the absolutely toxic uh, quote unquote debates in uh, newspapers these days about immigration. Um, and then it's got some really specific stuff about education policy where like there's been a cabinet reshuffle or two since then. And you had to think back to go, who was the education minister at this point in time? Uh, it was published in 2017 for additional context. Yeah. So like everything has changed so fast and a lot of it seemed to be very, of the moment, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, I thought that stuff, the education stuff, because it was kind of, it's all done as though it's an extra manuscript of um, Lewis Carroll's. So it's like it's all kind of Alice in Wonderland type, kind of. Mm. Basically, the point being, education is not, or the education system and the way that it was being handled by the government was nonsensical and was unhelpful to children and was illogical and. And, and he does this by kind of having it being a sort of Alice in Wonderland type thing where these characters who represent different conservative ministers, so all of it, all like um, Toby Young pop up and sort of, you know, spouts. Oh, that's and, who and, that one was. That's who the right. frog is. That's who the right. frog is. Because okay. he's Toby oh, right. on Twitter. And oh, his whole God. thing is about the blob. He's got this whole thing about the liberal blob. Because I, I, when I used to work in education journalism, I went uh... to a, a conference that he was speaking at. And his literally gave his standard spiel, which literally posed it as either kids have to sit in rows and learn dates of battles and things by rote and not understand anything beyond that. You know, they just have to learn names and dates and facts of important men in history. Or it's some kind of anarchist Montessori nightmare where kids are just smearing shit up their wall, you know, mm. and uh, there was no kind of in between. Like, and, and that's the blob that he talks. So, yeah, I thought that stuff, even if you didn't know exactly who it was referring to, it still kind of worked you know what I mean you could still yeah. kind of get the point some of the stuff that was very much I mean there's about 15 poems in this about Jeremy Corbyn yeah um yeah which I kind of wondered if I think it's interesting just having had the sort of the conversation we've had with um uh with Tim Wells around kind of immediacy and yeah. poetry being of the moment mm. like I don't know how interesting those poems are going to be in 10-15 years and I I don't know if that you know I, I'm not saying that's a criticism of them particularly. Yeah, I just, yeah. I was I was slightly surprised that this is a published collection. I'm not surprised that Michael Rosen wrote those poems for, for example, the NUT magazine, perhaps. But um, yeah, I think as a poetry collection, and I didn't even realize this was a rule I had in my head till now. But I sort of imagine that it's more, mm, slightly more for all time. I mean, obviously not forever, like nothing is. But I kind of. I was surprised by how fleeting some of the mm. topics were. And then some of them were a huge, broad capitalism. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my I started reading this book and for about the first 50 pages, I was really, really into it. Um, all the stuff that you were saying, Hannah, about the Jewish heritage and kind of uh, migrant Jewish heritage, I was really enjoying and thought it was really interesting and every time that he made it very personal which I think particularly the first sort of 50 pages of the collection are mm. I was really enjoying it there's some really great stuff about his family fleeing from Nazis and the kind of the impact that that had on mm. him and and uh and his family and and likewise with education um where it worked well for me was there's a really great poem about uh, his son 
leaving school and saying that he he expected school to be funny and things were funny before he went to school but after he went to school they were never funny again that uh, was heartbreaking that, that was, was a really yeah. great poem for me and it really it worked because it felt very personal mm. and very um small and simple but that's the first 50 pages the book is 150 pages mm. and for me yeah the, the almost so when you get to about page 50 it goes into that Alice in Wonderland thing that you were saying Rebe- Rebecca mm-hmm. which I mean I got some of it not all of it I didn't get that specific those specific references that you were talking about which maybe I would have if I'd read it in 2017 I guess what I took from that my my point that I took away from it was I don't like the Tories which is fine but it went on for 10 pages and then I felt like a lot of the rest of the book was it telling me did you know Tories are bad <laughs> for 100 pages I mean it bears repeating but they, uh, they are very bad <laughs> it does bear repeating <laughs> and you know they're like, currently starving children as we I speak mean, I mean, um, that's not to, even a fucking joke they've, to go they've back to, to earlier yeah. Yeah. I know it's not it's not go back to earlier and talking about Janine Booth she has a collection called Mostly Hating Tories yeah where you know it's it's a lot of Tory bashing I love a Tory bashing poem there's nothing wrong with that at all it chimes with me personally and I'm good Mm. with that but after a while Mm. it's really started to grate on me that all I was getting from the book was hey Tories I don't like Tories without me neither yeah (laughs) I wasn't clear that they were making different points each time as well a lot of the poems I was like I feel they could have been folded into one or you could have picked between the two actually because this isn't progressing the argument particularly and also some of them like and 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 I think this is also a little bit about challenging my prejudice or my idea of what um poetry should be but some of them there's some quite long prose poems in there and I was like to be honest I think you've stuck a couple you've pressed return a couple of times on what could be an opinion piece yeah and I'm not I'm not sure where I fall on whether or not that is poetry and obviously I don't want to go around making declarations about what is poetry and what isn't poetry because I'm not a dick but no I mean, I I felt like after a while I wasn't getting different angles with the poems. Mm. It was like it, I I felt like some of the poems were saying the same thing in the same way or a very similar way. About two pages on from about the... two pages on from the previous one. Yeah. Um, and in fact, even within some of the poems, there's one about Jeremy Hunt. Uh, that's a list poem it's like mm. Jeremy Hunt thinks this Jeremy Hunt thinks this and even within that poem some of the images in the list are so similar that mm. I felt like this is the same image this is not you're not giving me anything extra I thought that poem would have been me. a lot of fun live yeah. actually mm. to see yeah. um, oh I agree yeah. A lot of this, to be honest, I had the sensation that I'd wandered into classroom after hours and a pissed off teacher was, and I did used to have a teacher who was a bit like this, that we knew we could waste a lesson if we got him onto politics and just let him rant for the rest <laughs> of the lesson. And I, I learned a lot, actually, in that, to be honest, um, if Mr. Hibbs went off on one. But yeah, it felt like you'd wandered into a class out of hours and, you know, got a teacher chatting and he'd just gone for it and mm. warmed to his theme. And some of it was great and some of it, eh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, it's an interest. It's a really interesting book to be reading after having, you know, uh, in the same episode that we're interviewing Tim Wells and talking mm-hmm. about Welsh poetry, yeah. because it we're on a it, we're on a lefty Jewish something something kick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it feels ranty, and there's nothing wrong with a rant, ranting poem. I love a good ranting poem. You know, um, I mean, it 
it was really fantastic talking to Tim about the history of, of ranting poetry and where it came from. But it's also interesting that Tim was saying, actually, I'm kind of moving away from that a bit. And I think for me, the the challenge of political poetry is that I think it, I, I, I don't have a problem with political poetry at all, but I, I think it's very difficult to do well. Yeah. And I think part of the problem, as you said, Hannah, is it appears dated really quickly. Like yep. some of the references in this are to policies which are several years back and they would have been hugely in the news at the time. You know, the junior doctors strike and the um, and it's, it actually doesn't go that much on Brexit, but a little bit on that and uh, just kind of some policies a few years ago part of me thinks is it me reading this in 2020 Mm. that i it's kind of just just numbing to me like (laughs) junior doctors aren't thinking about the strike now jeremy hunt isn't the health minister now he wasn't the last health minister now it's we've moved so far along yeah Mm. i think one thing to point out is michael rosen i can't i don't know if he still is but at one point he was the children's poet laureate he was 2007 to 2009 i think ah okay and he does lots of writing about how about about education and how Mm. um how literature is taught so i think in terms of like it is a it is a specialist subject of his but i also sort of wonder sometimes who the intended audience was before it got packaged up into a collection because well, i feel question. like teacher conference would have fucking loved this and the detail about how often they keep fucking changing things to the extent that no one wants to be a teacher and all teaching is meaningless shite is an important point but also yeah yeah, mm. yeah. but i mean my question about the book and i'm talking more about the the, the last two thirds of it rather than the first mm. third yeah. is as a left-wing person, I read it and thought, okay, you don't like the Tories, cool. Okay, you still don't like the Tories, cool. O- okay, I'm not really I'm not really learning anything new about why mm. you feel these ways or what you might do differently or what you um wh- what you think would work. And I kind of felt like I didn't learn enough from it. And I mm. feel like if I was more right inclined which you know i happen not to be i would have just bounced straight off it and gone it's not for me so i'm Mm. kind of thinking you're either preaching to the converted or you're Mm. you're not going to engage with people who you might might potentially change the mind of so i'm wondering who this is for because it just feels like somebody to me talking performative not passionate not that they're not passionate i'm not saying that mm. i i do mm. think that he believes everything that he's written in this book very passionately i just wonder what the purpose mm. is i feel like if there were more extended metaphors or mm. more flouncy pretty language we probably wouldn't be talking about what's the point we'd be discussing the imagery yeah, yeah. but there, there isn't a lot of imagery it's very yeah, direct it's- is, is it Brechtian poetry? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which, in, in a lot of ways, I like. I, you know, I, yeah. I like, I like it when a poem is direct. I just, I want to yeah. see what the depth. What, what, what have you got to say about this particular issue? Other than I don't like the way the Tories have handled it. I feel like it is the most recent stuff Michael Rosen had written in 2017. Yeah, gathered from possibly a lot of different places because, like Rebecca said, there were quite a few that were covering the same ground. 
in a way I mean, that's a bit I, unusual. Yeah. Can I can I say what I what 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 my my ultimate gripe with the book is, mm. which is Please that do. I don't think it's been very well edited. That's that's ultimately what I feel it comes down to mm. is. The, as you say, this feels like a lot of the po- like pretty much every poem that Michael Rosen has written recently put together feels like broadly in the order that they were written. As you Probably. say, it, it's all these um, polit- very sort of uh, about specific policies or about specific kind of moments politically. Like, you know, we have the um junior doctor strike we then get into corbyn we then get into trump and brexit and it's and it's happening in that order in the book Mm. it feels like the uh sort of everything in the order that it was created and also Mm. like guys this is this book hasn't been proofread properly there's lots of typos yeah i don't i don't know what to say about that other than the fact that I, if I had been engaged with it more in the latter two thirds, I could have overlooked it. But the fact that I started to notice typos in the poems and, as you say, images recurring in the poems that were just the same image, mm. like not not changed or not saying putting a different angle on things or being used as kind of a refrain or anything, it it just felt like to me i felt like oh damn i really wanted to like this and now i'm mm. falling off it because i'm i'm noticing typos i shouldn't be noticing typos if i'm fully on board with it yeah so i, th- I think i think i liked about 50 percent of this book okay. mm. yeah i think i think if it had been a kind of more condensed collection half of my gripes would go away actually so yeah i, I think i there were some great and like i think it, I, i'm glad to have read it there's some stuff i found really really interesting and really enjoyed and yeah there's some stuff where i'm like oh but no i felt the same like uh, you know it's it's really long and it's it felt like it was bludgeoning me with the same message mm. after a while and that was a shame because i really liked it at the start and i also felt like i don't know like another thing with political poetry is when you perform you can say they a lot but when you write they who is the day in in a poem it's like when you're just ranting against capitalism or whatever and it's like they say this they say that it's like well who, and he's who... got some fucking good points about capitalism don't get me wrong like yeah. but also yeah i feel like it's it's not as pared back as it could be both in individual lines and in terms of how many poems made the cut mm. yeah mm. it's but it's both it's on the line and it's as a collection um i also kind of have a couple of very specific things with the politics side of it like Mm -hmm. like jumping in on like fake news and or bits of it are almost like conspiracy-ish which i don't know man like doesn't really do it for me also i found it, it really interesting that i didn't actually know a what a pogrom meant, Hannah. Uh-huh. Um, I want to know what you think about the fact that he has about 10 poems about Jeremy Corbyn in support of um, and mm. no reference to problems with anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Oh, God. Right. My personal take is that anti-Semitism is on the rise full stop and that um, 
anti-Semitism and Israel anti-Semitism and problems with the modern uh, global capitalist system, those get conflated by people with shit politics in multiple ways. Mm. And speaking as a socialist left-wing Jew who does not want human rights atrocities happening, Mm. it is incredibly (laughs) fucking frustrating. Um, So I think that Jewish people speaking out in favour of Jeremy Corbyn is... I've been one of those people. (laughs) Um, And that's not to say that the Labour Party has got his house in perfect order. I don't think it has. What I was more asking was, I thought it was interesting... And and maybe maybe I miss not not quite remembering because it was written because it was written three years ago. Mm. Like it was interesting to read a book by somebody who's clearly obviously Jewish, but but writing about being Jewish, mm. also writing about Corbyn, not yeah. writing about the link between the two. There, well, mm. whatever you think of, or whatever you think of of. Uh, how yeah. the Labour Party dealt with anti-Semitism to to not have any kind of thing on it at all, I thought mm. was um, interesting. Mm. Mm. I don't yeah. know. I don't know whether it's a positive or negative or whatever. Given that there are fifteen poems about Jeremy Corbyn, <laughs> perhaps one of them might find the space to have that conversation. Mm. It felt like a miss, basically, and 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 maybe I'm back projecting it onto it how, now that we're in 2020. Rather than, mm. and maybe I wouldn't have been, maybe none of us would have been thinking that if we'd been reading it in 2017. Yeah, I, I do kind of wonder sort of what response I might have had with some of these poems if someone had come up and said them at a at the spoken time. word night. Yeah. Or at the time, and at a spoken word night as well. Yeah. Mm. Because there is something about it being such a kind of quick art form in a lot of senses. Like, yeah. okay, you can spend years editing if you want, but you can also knock a poem out in an afternoon um, and go out and address something and say something very powerful very immediately to something that has caught your attention that you want to address and that's incredibly powerful and it is an advantage of this art form over say having to do an oil painting or (laughs) film do you know what i mean um in a wider sense um i was watching a documentary recently about uh the romantics on the bbc it's a, a it's a really good show. I think I plugged it in one of the previous episodes. And they were talking about Shelley's poem, The Mask of Anarchy, which mm. is a political poem about the Peterloo Massacre. But which and, has had this huge life of its own since. And a lot of it rings true now. But other parts, it's a very long poem. Other parts of it are like referring to very specific political mm. people of the day, like by name. And you need to know your history at this point. Yeah, so. you need to know the history in order to in order to know who these people even are. And I think it's fine if you're an adult and you're wanting you're wanting to put the time into that. When when I was studying it and like mm. sixteen, I'm like, I don't care. I don't know who, who, <laughs> who the health secretary was five years ago. Let alone like yeah. who the like who the person was in Shelley's time. Like it it makes it harder to engage with it. Um, after a while, I think are people going to remember some of this stuff in another three, mm. four, ten years? Like it mm, becomes yeah. difficult. I don't want to whack Michael Rosen around the around the head with with a copy of this. Not least because he's been unwell, and you know. Oh no, like, Michael! No, no, I, 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 I want to give Michael Rosen a giant fucking hug. Yeah. I really yeah. like the dude. Therefore, I was a bit disappointed that I didn't love the book because I thought I would. I feel really similar. I feel really similar. Mm-hmm. Like there was some really good stuff in here. I uh, have a lot of respect for him, and and you know, like 
what I know of him and and other bits and bobs I've read by and about him. And I want I really wanted to love this book, and I came away just kind of numb. Mm. Mm. I think also none of it was as good as he's got that fantastic poem about um, fascism. I sometimes fear that people think fascism arrives in fancy dress worn by grotesques and monsters as endlessly played out in reruns of the Nazis. Fascism arrives as your friend. It will restore your honour. It will make you feel proud or protect your house, your job, clean up your neighbourhood. Um, and it kind of goes on like that. Yes. Actually, it's making a lot of the points that were being made in this book, but much better. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if it was in a previous collection or it must what. Be, yeah. Uh, Cool. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap up. Definitely follow Michael Rosen on Twitter. Check out his stuff. Man's a national treasure, just maybe not this one. Now it's time for our notice board section, where we spotlight 10 or so opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit it for publication. So first up, great name for this, the White Pube Writers' Grant funded by... Yep, so good, right? That's that's funded by Creative Debuts uh, and is a one-off £500 grant to be given out to different working class... uh, To be given out to a different working class writer based in the UK once every month. This grant has been set up to support writers of all ages who are early in their careers and would benefit from this no-strings-attached financial support to help them in whatever they like, be that money to cover time to write, books, web posting, print, subscriptions, research, development, travel, or even just money to fund life expenses and rent. So it's a great deal, guys. If you think that's something relevant to you, then get on it. Um, So visit www.thewhitepube.co.uk forward slash writers grant. And that is the white pube. The white pube, as in as in one of your pubic hairs has gone a bit grey. So uh, next up, the Nottingham Poetry Festival has called for poets to support the likes of Lem Say, Anthony Naxaguru, Henry Normal or Vanessa Kasule at um, the Nottingham Poetry Festival 2020. Um, and uh, this is, uh, this. I think we definitely had this last year as well. So basically you just go on and you kind of tell them a bit about yourself and a link to you performing and um they get back with you they get back to you if they think that you might make a good kind of support act so it's uh nottinghampoetryfestival.com forward slash support dash act dash application uh deadline for submissions is monday 2nd of november because obviously that's quite soon if you're listening to this uh, at the beginning of november next up we've got we've got meet the editor which is a masterclass with anthony and Aksaguru, and that's online on saturday the 7th of november 2020 at two o'clock and it's a masterclass offering professional and creative development insights for writers who are already working seriously at their craft. Uh, I've done workshops with Anthony and Aksaguru before and it's they're really good, really, really worth doing. So the URL for that was really long and no one was going to thank me for reading it out. So uh, if you just search for Meet the Editor Masterclass with Anthony and Aksaguru and that's A-N-A-X-A-G-O-R-O-U. Well worth doing actually. And there are, so I think it's 35 quid for a ticket, but there are kind of bursaries and sort of discounted tickets available. Um, So check it out. Uh, Hannah, what have you got for us? Maz Hedgehog is a poet based in Manchester uh, who's editing a poetry anthology on imagined histories. Um, So she wants up to three poems per submission on mythology and what ifs. And the collection will be called Tell Me Who We Were Before Life Made Us. That's a poem in itself pretty much uh submissions are open till the 8th of november and it's 60 quid and royalties if your poem gets used and that's at www.3 of three the number not 
spelled out threeofcups.co.uk uh, forward slash poetry hyphen anthology. Yeah, thanks for sending me that, by the way. That was something I meant to say. And what have I been up to this month? I've actually submitted for ah, shit, including this. Excellent. Yes, excellent. Thank you for that. And Burning Jade magazine, uh, one of uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's latest uh, endeavours. Uh, no, I lie. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then you shove it up your couche. And then... Do not stick magazines up your foof. Like, without <laughs> taking kind of precautions, you Wait, know. What, what are you sticking up, a f- up, up where? So... <laughs> Exactly where you think, Laurie. So one of um, the, one of Gwyneth Paltrow's things that she was selling on her website Goop was jade eggs, which are literally egg-sized orbs made of made of jade that one could put up one's foof to uh, foof. to uh, to cleanse chakras or something. I energy. Think, I think do kegels with it, but while having oh, some kind gonna... of some kind of crystal woo on a item that is not intended to go up there. And there's so has... many words here. I don't know what you're saying. Vagina, Laurie, vagina. What is it? But you were saying crystal something? So it's it's an egg made of jade or or rose quartz. They had a variety and people with vulvas stick them up there and you can, I believe, do kind of tensing exercises to keep the thing in, perhaps. But also generally the, the, the magic healing power of the crystal, which is not going to poison you and is not going to be bad for you in any way. I read a whole Tumblr post on why malachite should never go up there. Um, <laughs> anyway. Who's Malachite? That's my question. <laughs> One of the archangels who... No, wait, right. So there's this magazine called Burning Jade that has nothing to do with Gwyneth Paltrow. And I'm really sorry for this intro. And there are no... Nothing needs to go in an orifice for this. Um, Burning Jade magazine are seeking up to five poems on... Uh, for this edition, it's love stories outside of conventional narratives. So queer relationships, long distance partnerships. They also suggested dating during COVID, online dating, hookups, polyamory, etc. Um, and that's open till December 12th. And that's at burningjademagazine.org forward slash submissions. And Laurie, what opportunities have you scouted out? Nine Arches Press are open for manuscript submissions. They do some really great work. Like we reviewed Teresa Lola's In Search of Equilibrium on a previous episode, which is with them. Um, that's an awesome book. They're a really good publisher. But if you think you've got a book that they might like, uh, you can submit it at ninearchespress.com stroke submissions.html. Um, and nine is spelt out as the full word nine. Um the other one uh, that's quite exciting is Bad Betty Press, who we've interviewed on a previous episode. Tim Wells, who guested on this episode, his pamphlet is on them. They are also open for submissions too for both collections and pamphlets, but, and it's a big but, it's only for submissions from, and this is their wording, black, brown, and Asian writers. So that means if you are white, please don't submit right now. There will be other opportunities with them to submit, but this is not that. And that's open until 31st of January. And finally, from me, um, there are virtual poetry workshops happening with a cool writer that's, uh, that we've all seen perform several times, Bella Cox, taking place online every Thursday evening from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. on Zoom. Uh, you can find out more about that by searching virtual poetry workshops with Bella Cox, and that's Cox, C-O-X, on Facebook and ask to join their group. 
In a moment, we're going to have our poetry recording of the month to play us out. But before we do that, anything you guys want to plug? You can find me on Facebook at Laurie Eves Poet or on Instagram at Laurie Eves Poet. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Mr. Leaves. Uh, or you can alternatively buy a copy of my book if you like. It's called Biceps and that is on my website, laurieeves.com. Uh, there's also a version of it on audio cassette. Mm. If you prefer to have big plastic chunks in your life. Hannah, how about you? What am I up to? Um, yeah, I am Hannah Hutzper, Hannah.Hutzper, Hannah underscore Hutzper. Uh, on, on all the platforms, uh, the spelling will be visible wherever you are listening to this recording. That's about it. Yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> Cool. Um, oh, I tell you what I have to plug yeah. is I finally started a Facebook page this year. Yeah. This, this, uh, boop, boop, boop. You can find me on Facebook at Rebecca Cooney dash poet. Yeah, I figured I might as well. Um, and uh, I've got a good, I've got a cool video from the lovely people at Muddy Feet oh, this month. I saw um, that. They, yeah, so they did a recording of my poem, 13 Things to Tell a Friend Who's Hurting which so because of because it was sort of done during pandemic restrictions we filmed it in the park which I kind of like initially I sort of I I kind of regretted doing that poem because it is a poem about being in a house like it's come in I'll put the kettle on like it's very kind of domestic Mm. actually I've had so many important conversations and sort of you know consoling conversations with friends walking around parks in the last you know six months that actually that was a really I thought it was Yay. a really nice setting for it. So, um, so yeah. So that's that's up there. Um, you can also find me at Rebecca K Cooney on Twitter, at any name but Becky uh, on Instagram, and you can find the podcast on Twitter at Dead Darlings Pod, uh, Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast@gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and help us spread the word. Our poem of the month was performed by Dami Okiria. Before we share Dami's poem with you, uh, I want to say thank you to her for letting us showcase her work, uh, to Rick for the tip, uh, and thank you to my co-hosts, Hannah and Laurie, to Tim Wells for joining us, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and as always, to you guys for listening. Bye! Bye! I said I had so much cake this Christmas, my middle name should be Buttercream. I said I had so much cake this Christmas, my middle name should be Buttercream, you know? because it goes in between two sponges. I said I had so much cake this Christmas, my middle name should be buttercream, you know, because it goes in between two sponges, but no one got it. I guess my jokes have too many layers. Did you know girls aren't funny? There are five elements to a joke, a good one. I'll walk you through them. One, the premise. This is what the joke is about. So say relationships or dating in the 21st century. Two, timing. A good comedian knows when to carry on the joke, when to pause for audience reaction, and when to really hammer home the punchline, like Tinder is full of weirdos. But I've been on it, so orcs. Three, dramatization. This is painting a picture of the scene you're describing, like meeting a good guy on Tinder is like finding a needle in a skip. More like three months later, 
grazing your eye as you deliver the lie, I walked into a door. No, there was no one else around, covering bruises with Mac. Four, broader commentary. This refers to how the joke sits in the wider community, like if society accepts it as a norm or if the victim will be sent home for more or if we'll ask the uncomfortable questions. Are you afraid? Do you feel safe? Can I speak to you? But behind a closed door. Five, the punchline. Although small, it's a critical aspect of the joke. It's the point you're making, like 1.3 million women in the UK experienced domestic violence last year. Did you know girls aren't funny? Can't quite deliver the punch, right? Having spent too much time at the end of one. Domestic violence figures today are a joke. It's just not funny. Thank you so much for listening to my poem. If you'd like to hear more from me or see what I get up to in the future, you can find me on Facebook at uh, Dami Poetry. You can also find me on YouTube under the same name as, as well, Dami Poetry. Thank you. Thank you.